Miss Alicia, tell us a crazy story from prison. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot of crazy stories because I stayed in the background, but there was one that I had. Everybody's got crazy stories. Uh, well, I have a crazy story. But this one particularly happened to me. Okay. I can tell you others, but this one happened to me. So um, I had got my time, 30 years, and I mm. sent me to uh, Lake Providence. I was going crazy. I'm like, I can't stay in this warehouse. Stocked up here. Ain't no education. Ain't nothing doing. So I met this lady, and um, we just became friends. And um, one day, one of the security came to the thing because she was telling me about her daughter and stuff, and she missed her daughter and things like that. And the security came to the door and brought a um, cassette that her daughter had uh, sent to her. Oh, man, you went when they still had cassettes, huh? <laughs> yes. You were young. I, absolutely. I was uh 18 when I went in, mm-hmm. very so young. They brought her a cassette? Well, they brought her a cassette that was from her daughter, you know, speaking to her or whatever, but the lady told her, she said, um, you can't have this, but she was so rude, she slammed the door in her face. Me, because I'm confident and because of the lifestyle that I came out of, I'm like, and that I had befriended her and it made me mad. So I was like, okay, I got this. She sat in her bunk. I went and put all my stuff in my locker. I went right out there because I was going to talk to them and uh, ask them about what's going on. Why was she so rude? And when I went out there, um, I was upset, and I was trying to explain to the captain. And uh, the lady came up on me, and I, sometimes I, back then I talked with my hands. Hell, yeah. And when I was talking with my hands, I guess she thought that I was going to hit her or something. And when she came at me, she swung. And she, when she swung at me, I just dove in at her and ripped the her guard? Let's The guard? The security guard. But this is what saved me. The captain was sitting right there and seeing her swing at me first. Mm. Oh, good. Yes, it was like, and the lady was So did Amazon. you beat her I'm, up, though? I was tall, but she was taller than me like an Amazon. So when she came <laughs> at me, guess what? She was coming down. I, look, I was I was getting in. Bop, bop. Yeah, and then she went to swing. I grabbed her hair, and I gripped. It, it was on the other side of the um, the warehouse or whatever. Um, but anyways, after they got us apart or whatever, um, so they sent me back to the dorm. But the guy, the uh, prison next door, the men's prison got mad, the warden, because they didn't put me in lockdown. The captain didn't put me in lockdown. Because I told her, I said, I want to press charges. Mm-hmm. So um, because she gave me what I wanted, they put me in lockdown. Two days later, they shipped me to St. Gabriel because I was like, I can't stay here. I got time. I will go crazy in here. Yeah. Because the women, all they were doing was smoking cigarettes, bulldogging, and just... I'm like, no, I will go crazy in here, and it's not going to be good. You know, facing a 30-year sentence was not, it was, I mean, you can imagine just. I've been in satellite camp. Yes, I don't know how to. Yes. What's bodagging mean? Bulldagging. Same thing as a guy getting punked. Mm. You know what a punk is? <laughs> we call it bagdagging, though. I'm imagining, is it rape? <laughs> no, no, no. no that's not, it's, it's willing participants. Sometimes. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the men, again, is different than the women. Because a lot of times in the women you see on compliant, but at the same time a, a woman is very emotional, and you'll see the older ones go get the young ones, but they'll corrupt them, and at the same time it's like an emotional thing. They become friends, and the next thing you know they become lovers. Mm-hmm. But the thing they got husbands and all that, and I be Romantic. looking like you that's how it happens. In, that's how it happens in the men's prison. It ain't no different. It's, yeah, it's no different. But I'm like, I had uh, one girl. Um, well, I was talking to a friend of mine, and it was her friend, and she was like, oh, she get down? The girl heard and spoke up for me. She was like, oh, no, no, she's a Christian. I'm like, I was looking at her, baby, you don't, you have no idea who I am. I just mm-hmm. looked at her. But she got to know who I am, and you, she was very Then she didn't make no more sexual passes at you. Oh, she really didn't. I mean, I came out of a lifestyle that, you know, was street life. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Penitentiaries to Penthouses. I'm Scott. On the left, your best friend in real estate. All your real estate needs. What kind of houses you buy? We buy dumps. For anybody out there who has a property that is in a bad condition, real bad condition, or needs serious renovations, please feel free to reach out to either Scott or Scott, and uh, we'd love to have the opportunity to chat with you, buy it, and flip it. And if your roof is bad? In front of us, we got Miss Alicia. Is it Desitel? Yes. Dis Hotel. Dis Hotel. Yes. But okay. it don't have the H in it. Ah, it. Dis Hotel. Dis Hotel. Absolutely. Sounds neat. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? <clears throat> I'm uh, born and raised in Shreveport. That's that's uh, East Texas. It's right there by the Arkansas. No, I call it East Texas. Okay. Well, why do you call it East a- Texas? Because y'all's accents. 
Well, that's mine's different because everybody says it's different. I've lived in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, and Louisiana. Oh. So, and I've been down in Baton Rouge. I mean, I've been all over. So I've got a mixture of you have a Texas country. Accent. Well, I can change it. I can, I can sound gangster for you if you want me to. Do I it. Told you I do it. Keep, do keep it. your country accent for the podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. Absolutely. But part of my story, I might have to, you know. Do what you got to do. But so you're from Shreveport. I'm from Shreveport, born and raised. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and then uh, kind of uh, your, your experience growing up and then what led you to prison. Okay. Um, so I was born and raised in Shreveport. Um my dad had his own business, JD's Tree Service. You know, it was kind of like a medium like lifestyle in a way. I guess you would say that. Um, but my dad like was a different. middle class. Yeah, but a little bit lower. But it wasn't like poor. But um, you had what you needed. Absolutely. And um, he was like 19 when he started his own business. Mm-hmm. So everything that I've learned today, I got from him to work hard, entrepreneurship, and everything. So with that, um, I learned how to work young. Cutting firewood, using a chainsaw, getting a dump truck. You didn't have no splitter, did you? Yes, we did. No, Absolutely. I'm talking about like the mechanical one? Absolutely. And oh, we used really? To, uh, yes. We used to cut um, firewood and sell it, cords and everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I would think about it. I was six, seven, eight years old. Yes, sir. Um, so with him having his business and stuff, um, so it was like normal. But there came a time that my dad got on drugs, and I watched – my dad had everything going for him, and my mom kept the books for him. And I watched him get on drugs, and I watched everything be taken from him. And it was devastating. And to be honest with you, I didn't realize years later, I wasn't physically abused or sexually abused, but I was mentally and emotionally abused as a teenager after the period whenever my dad got on drugs, my mom followed him, they lost everything. So, And then we began to bounce around from... Arkansas and this and he started making methamphetamines and stuff not that stuff they were making they're making now that shake and bake anhydrous ammonia they, they no they were making the stuff out there with the real stuff it was breaking bad type of stuff yes it, it was that he was connected with some people so even as a child I was introduced to that and um I was a daddy's girl and so how, how, so when he got off like that <clears throat> what did that do to you like from a Little girl standpoint, seeing your dad start using drugs, how did that affect you? Well, because I was a daddy's girl, you know, I looked up to him, and to me, when I look back, he catered to me more than he did my brother, my sister, and then I didn't even realize my oldest brother that's a year older than me wasn't even his son. We didn't find that out till later, which I'll get to, Um, but... I just, I guess I idolized him because he was everything, provider, everything that, you know, a father should be. But it also affected me <clears throat> when I got into the street life and I got on drugs and it, it led me to taking somebody's life. Mm-hmm. So it affected me. It was like, it was just a domino effect. Um, Did you act out? Is that what you're trying I'm to say? I got to get there too. Okay. Did you know that he had a, a drug problem whenever you were that young or did it take you to get... Older well, and wiser to realize. No, I learned real fast. So I knew about the uh, marijuana. Um, I remember a situation. My grandmother, she was staying, and uh, he was growing uh, plants in the backyard. And he said, oh, those are tomato plants. My grandma came in and told us. So at that time, I was like, I went and picked them out. And I went to my grandma. She says, girl, you're going to cause uh, a chaos on this block. It was fun. It's funny now. But back then, I was like, well, I ain't no shoe. He said he was on drugs. So I, I'm going to get rid of him. It was funny back then, but it caused a, a situation. But So I knew about the marijuana. But um, he got introduced, I didn't find out later, to crack cocaine by my mother's brother. Your uncle. My uncle. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I didn't find that out till later. Um. But I watched him and with his business and his foreman and stuff like that were on drugs. But I didn't know then, but I would watch their movement. And I remember this scene has stuck with me forever. I was in my bed, where it's two of them. I was stuck in my bedroom, and he had a shop in the backyard, and I was laying in my bed. I think I got in trouble. I was on punishment. And I was just looking out at the back, and um, I kept seeing, like, flashes in the shop. I didn't know what he was doing, but when I looked back, he was smoking crack. I watched him lose everything. And I also remember a time my mom and him was on it. I was asleep. They brought some guy over there, and um, I woke up. 
my actually my dad came crawling through the window. I'm like, Daddy, what you doing? He's like, Girl, I'm about to. He's like, I'm about to go uh, lay down and just go back to sleep, baby. I love you. I said, Okay, Daddy, I love you too. And so the next morning, I woke up and I went to the living room, and my mom and the guys sitting right there on the porch. And I'm like, What are y'all doing? Oh, we're waiting on your daddy. I said, Waiting on daddy? I said, Daddy, been home. What y'all doing? And all hell broke loose. My mom cut up. So I, what I'm assuming now is what happened is they gave her, uh, my dad money to go get the drugs, and he never came back. So he probably did them, left the guy there with my mom, and so it was chaotic. But I remember that. Um, but with the methamphetamines, the first time that I ever did drugs, I was at, I was 13 years old. My dad had a methamphetamines lab. It was it started in Arkansas. It started in Oklahoma. Then it gravi- gravitated to Oklahoma. And then it gravitated to Mansfield, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And um, he was cooking it in my grandmother's uh, house, and she was staying with two black ladies. And I'm like, my mom's like, you, you, you go get it, the police. You. And it was, it was crazy. But we finally uh, got a house out there in Mansfield, and my dad was cooking the methamphetamines in, you know, the bedroom. Um, but see, uh, mentally and emotionally how I was abused is because when an individual is on drugs, whether it's a parent or whatever, their morals are corrupted. So because they didn't want to get in trouble, whatever, they would tell us, don't say nothing to the police. And, you know, uh, we found ourselves stealing. And I found myself going into the big um, supermarkets or whatever and getting the big kitchen um, matches because we used to take the razor blades and get the sulfur off of it because they needed that for the methamphetamines. And this is 13 years old. So I was. So you were collecting supplies to cook dope? Yes, at 13 years old. But this is the thing. And I, I watched, he had the pirate plates, the, the tubes, all that in there. And my mom was going to work and stuff like that. I don't remember a lot about my mom because she would work or whatever. And I remember being on pills and stuff, but my dad was in my life back then. And I, that's what I remember the most. So anyways, all that went on. And one day he came through and he was like, he was like, uh, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to put something in your coffee. So he put me some meth in my coffee and I drank it. I think I stood in the bathroom for like, 13 hours, like, with a toothbrush on the toilet, for real. And, like, um, my brother came in. He was like, what are you doing? What are you? I don't even remember if he got I was trying to just play it off. I'm like, I'm cleaning the house or whatever, and I didn't even let them know. And um, mind you, uh, my brother's a year younger than me, and my sister's a year younger than him. So we were all stepping stones. Um, my oldest brother that was a year older than me, he was in Oklahoma with my grandmother. So um, during that time, that was my first introduction to um, methamphetamines. Mind you, I had did marijuana before that. We were in Shawnee, and I, my dad had a joint rolled up, and they were back there cooking meth or whatever. I didn't know that's what they were doing at the time. I guess I got bold, and I went and got the joint. My dad had a Cadillac, and I got my brother. Me and my brother went out in the back of the Cadillac, was smoking the joint and uh-huh. laughing our ass off. It was, we were just laughing, and my sister came out. She sat in the front seat, me and my brother just laughing at each other, and it was, it became more funnier. So it was marijuana, then it turned around to meth. So, um, and this is at 13? Gateway drug. 13. It really, it actually really wasn't even a gateway drug, if you, if you would say that. Never mind, scratch that. I mean, come, I mean, gateway, I mean, come on, it's legal in Colorado. My mom stays in Colorado. They, they freely smoke a weed and stuff. They go to a uh, smoke shop, and I'm like, what are you doing, mom? Oh, I'm getting. I'm like, Mommy, you don't need that stuff. Yeah. But So um, this is at 13 you started? 13. Mm-hmm. So during that time, it was in 1996, December, our house got raided by the Jump Out Boys. They came in with guns to our heads, and it was it was absolutely crazy. And I'm like, I remember when they came in, my dad jumped across, and they had guns. And I'm running to my dad, and they had guns to my head. And I'm like, hey, I really didn't care, but I was trying to get to my dad. That's That was my heart. This is a rival family? No, the jump no, out the boys, jump out are, boys the are the uh, uh, yes, are the, the task force, task force drug narcotics task force. or something. Uh, okay. I'm thinking like it's like uh, this is not this is not uh, a TV show. This is not a jump. Was it 21 Jump Street? It's like it's like hey y'all pass our y'all are in our turf now we're gonna rob y'all's product. No 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 no. He's showing his. We said he wasn't green anymore. He's got his green shorts on, so today he's being bright. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you green. See, you green because you thought that, I mean, there's different walks of life. Mm -hmm. That's in the the black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. You got the white neighborhoods, the hippies, they just as gangster. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because I took one dude because he was doing something to me. I'm like, okay, I got somewhere I'm going to take you. I ain't know where I was going, but I took him out there to the white boys. Guess what? You want to play with me? All right, I'm going to take you to my cousin. All these white dudes with shotguns come out. He's looking like... 
And I was talking, look, I ain't even know the girl. I went up there, I said, look, I need you to act like you my cousin. Started talking to her like my cousin. I said, don't play with me. Don't, baby, look, the white boys is just as crazy as the ones in the hood. Absolutely. Guess what? If yeah, not more Shout crazier. out the white boys. If the not more crazy. Ones. So anyways, let's, let's, okay, let's so, divert back to the story. So the people kicked in the door. Yes. In December, and what they did with you. Okay, so this is what happened. My dad went to jail. My mom did not go to jail. So this is the part that began the... I got lost. I didn't know who I was. I was devastated. So my mom didn't go to jail. My dad went to jail. They took me, my brother, and my sister into foster care. The first night, we were all together. After the first night, they kept my brother and sister together and ripped me apart. Not only did they rip me apart from my mom and dad, they ripped me apart from my brother and sister. Think about a 13-year-old thrown to the foster system. 13 years in foster system, nobody really wants a 13-year-old. They look at that as a trouble child. And I went through terrible experience through, you know, the foster care system. So I began to act out. I was in um, detention centers. I was in behavioral hospitals. Um, I was uh, physically abused in one of the uh, group homes in Monroe. I can't even remember what it was um, by their staff. Bruised up. I'm a team of them. And uh, when I went to the... Um, the conference or whatever, the monthly things they had with my mom and them. My mom looked at me. I'm like, what in the hell? And she was so devastated because my eyes was black and everything. And I cut up even more. So they wouldn't really let me see my mom. So I cut up more. I wound up kicking out a, a glass in the, uh, the um, what is it, the DFA, whatever they do. DCFS. With, yes, yes, in their office. And um they put me in the back of a squad, uh, car, and I was still cutting up. And they almost hog-tied me to put me in the back because I was just like, they ripped me from my, the only thing that I knew. You know, and, and to me that was devastating because I'm like, I had to well, learn how to young. survive. Yeah, I was young, but I had to learn survival skills really fast because you ripped me away from the only thing that I knew. I wasn't physically or I wasn't sexually abused by my mom and dad. So when they threw me at, not, they, they just took me from everything that I knew. So I went in there and they wanted me to, you know, open up and share things with them. I'm looking like, at them like, I don't know you. And it's, it's just, I began to act out because I, it, I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know what to do because it became a new experience um, in a different household, groups of women and stuff. And it's like, it was just awkward. But um, through the two years that I stayed in foster care, my father was murdered. Mm. That was even more devastating. I was in Mandeville Hospital, cutting up again. How old um, were you? I was, at that time, I was 14, getting ready to be 15. What happened? with How, how did he die? Okay, I'm about to give the story. He's one of you those don't co- have to go into great no, detail, but I'm you just tell it. a short synopsis. So, um, basically, he was murdered. He was a, It was a drug deal. I guess he was going to get drugs. Um, and my mom was waiting on him, so that I was told. And he got shot five times with a 9 millimeter, tw- uh, three times in the back and twice in the thigh. Mm-hmm. Somebody robbed him and left him on the railroad track. So mm-hmm. I found that when they called me, they said, I'm sorry to tell you, but James, I'm like, which one? Because my brother's named James, too. And when they told me my dad, I was, like, devastated. Like, I just, like, my world crumbled. But what saved me, they let me go to the funeral. By that time, my brother had went into another foster home. Him and my sister went together. And um, when I went down to the funeral, my mom had told me, she says, Alicia, you need to start start acting right because if not, I can't get y'all back. If you're acting up, they're not going to let you come to me. And when she told me that, because I love my mom and I respect that's all I knew and I could trust, that's all she had to tell me. I became a leader in everything that I did. And after I finished that, they wound up putting me and my sister together in a Shangaloo. We stayed like five months. Um, and then my mama got us back on December the 16th of 98. Mm. My dad was murdered April the 7th of 1998. Mm. Um, so after that, more traumatized for me because once I got home and my mom got us back, I found out my oldest brother was only my half-brother. His dad was living with my mom. They had got back together, so I, I'm meeting his dad, and they're living together. And mind you, I was in school making A's and B's, and I was playing basketball. I love basketball. Um, I was doing what I was supposed to do, but I really didn't know who I was. I did. It was traumatizing because nobody, like, I didn't have the coping skills. I was just survival mode, whatever, whatever I got to do to survive. And so I was going to school, whatever, and I began to watch. My brother, he dropped out of school. 
My mom gave him the car, but he was working. All his homeboys and stuff used to come to the house smoking weed and stuff like that. But when I would ask my mom, well, can I go to my friend's house or whatever? She was like, no. So I became rebellious. You let him do that? So I started running away. So at that time, because the emotion, I, I didn't, I was hurt. I was wounded. I was scarred from the emotional trauma. I didn't know who I, didn't know who I was. And I, I was just longing for, I guess, somebody else. I don't know what I, I was. I ran away and I got introduced into the street life. When we started the P2P podcast, the first thing we had to do was find a podcast platform that could handle the stories of redemption that we tell every single week, Scott. And at the end of the day, we chose Buzzsprout. It was user-friendly even for two guys just starting out in the podcasting world. Buzzsprout gets you listed on every major podcast platform. Gives you detailed analytics and other tools to promote your episodes. And podcasting is easy when you have the right partners. And the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. If you really like us, follow the link in the show notes of this episode. And it lets Buzzsprout know that the P2P podcast sent you. And you can save $20 by using our link if you sign up for one of the paid plans. This is an easy way that you can help support the P2P podcast and save some bread. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. You save money and support the P2P podcast by clicking the link in the show notes or description of this podcast today. Whenever you're running away, are you running away to someone to be with a group of people? Or are you just like empty running away like... Bonk this house. I'm just anywhere's just going to be better than where I'm at right now. Well, I began to run away because I mean, when I was at home, there was nothing to do. My mom really wasn't doing that with me. Being, again, I told y'all from the beginning, I don't remember anything when I was a child. My mama never did anything. I remember yeah. her as working, being the caretaker, but doing pills and always sleeping. That's all I remember. I didn't remember her saying, you know, y'all want to go do something today. I don't remember that. I remember my Where dad. were you going when you were running away? I'm about to tell you. So I was in school, so I became promiscuous, and I began to, you know, mess around with guys and stuff. But I got, I was green. Like you said, I was green uh, in the dope world, in the street life, in the in the hood right then. So it was a guy that was liking me. And let me, I'm going to tell you the story because you got to listen to it. Um, so me being green, so I'm with the boyfriend that's so-called. I'm thinking I didn't even know what the heck a boyfriend was then. I was just chilling and hanging out, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, he took me to his mama's house and they in his trailer or whatever, you know. I'm like, okay, cool, you know. So, um, his mama called me. She was in the bathroom. She was like, hey, or whatever. And I went back there. She's like, you smoke. I'm thinking, she's talking about weed. I'm like, yeah, I smoke. So, she gave me $10. So, she said, go out there and get one from one of the boys. I'm thinking, I'm going to get a dime bag. I gave the guy $10. He put this white little thing in my hand. I'm like, what the fuck is this? So, I took it back to her, but I didn't know. So, when I went in there... And she was with her husband, and I was like, and I knew my dad was on that drug, and I knew my dad got murdered because of that, and it was a fear there, too. But that's how I got inducted into smoking crack. Mm. So whenever, I didn't even get high that first time. I just, I got suckered in. It's like the enemy just took me and sucked me in. So when I went in there, she was like, uh, I gave it to her, and I'm like, and they hit it, and she's like, you want to hit it? I'm like. I'm like, okay. But whenever I did it, I didn't inhale it. I was blowing it out the other way because I didn't want to. And um, she's like, give me that, girl. You are wasting. And I'm like, because I didn't want to feel play, but I'm thinking I'm going to get a dime bag of weed. So that was my introduction to crack firsthand in the hood. So I still began to run away. I began to get promiscuous, drinking alcohol. Didn't even like it. Just, just somewhere where I felt like somebody just giving me attention. It's really mm-hmm. what happened because I wasn't getting it, you know, like that. Um, and so that began my cycle. That was at the age of 15, 16. My mom was really trying to do what she needed to do for all of us. Mind you, she was getting two checks from me, an SSI check and uh, my dad's Social Security. My uh, brother, she was getting Social Security from my brother and my sister. So basically she was using that money to make sure we had somewhere to, you know, live and all that. And when I started running away, she used to get pissed off at me, and I'm like, and she used to call the cops on me, and I'm like, I went back to what they would do to me. I'm like, hey, you gonna call the cops on me? I ain't do that with you. I mean, you know, this is the mind frame. Mm-hmm. You know, she was mad because if I wasn't there at home, she wouldn't get that money for me. But um, so I was running away, and I never really got high off a of crack until I, I was with these uh, some white people, Scott and them, and I was um. 
I got inter- not you. He was oh, a tall. One. He was Isn't a this guy? no. He was taller than you. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm telling you, bald headed too. No. Oh God, no. Oh no. Yeah, he's he was. We he was snitching. Deep. Oh no, I'm not a snitch. Not not in that way. I'm just joking. <laughs> not that way. There's nah, a way to you joking. know care about somebody and uh talk to them versus going snitching. You just like gonna make that. the situation like worse. Why well, I'm gonna snitch on you? I can pull you to the side. Say, look, let me talk to you, bro. Give him some wisdom. Is that what Knowledge. you said to him whenever? Who? In, in the story? You oh, pulled no, no, him off no, no, the no. side? Oh, you're talking about him? No, I'm talking about the other guy. Uh, oh, no, I'm talking about somebody else. in the story. Come on, bro. You done got Oh, my God. Golly. You got to keep I'm up? just in the story, dude. I'm in the story. Just everybody come. I'm <laughs> sorry. Continue. You need coffee. To stay no, he don't. That's why his brain going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but but, so go ahead. Okay. So, anyways, um, again, I'm still green to that, but... I learned really, really fast. So I was introduced to shooting cocaine. I, I was scared of needles, but I was hanging with them. I used to watch them. I could have got myself killed because they were shooting up and stuff. They're talking about there's a little man now out the window. I'm like, what? I'm like, I throw the window back. I'm like, really? I could have got myself killed because they really believed in seeing that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that so those are the, whenever you, your dad died is kind of when – uh, you started running away, and then you started getting into that <clears throat> life. So tell us a little bit about like uh, what happened that caused you to go to prison, and then talk about your transition from free world gotcha. to prison. So basically, you know, from then on, I began. I, I learned really fast about the street life. I wasn't green for very long. You couldn't be, or you find yourself dead or tricked out out there. Right. So I started smoking crack. I, I would shoot uh, cocaine every once in a while. I didn't like needles. So, um, but I was out there and I was prostituting. I was prostituting the females out there. Mm-hmm. I was. I wasn't one of them that uh, the men was going out there pimping them. You couldn't pimp me. You ain't getting my money. So that was my motto. Guess what? That's the only. I like that. That, that was the only way yeah, that I, ain't I knew. You my bread. I work yeah. hard. <laughs> Shoot, really? No, but I was uh, getting cars. Didn't have my license. Give some of them crack. Guess what? I need to rent your car. So I had all those things. I learned how to hustle really, really fast. Just like I was one of them out there in the street selling drugs and stuff like that. I learned this is a white girl in, in the hood, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of them underestimated me, but they learned real fast. Don't play with her. Mm-hmm. And I got involved with a lot of people that were like big time dope dealers and stuff like that. So I was always like, you know, on my hustle making money, but, and I was always running by myself. But then I got with this guy. Every time I get with a guy, I get in trouble. I need to stay away from me. Yeah. So, um, first of all, he knew what I was doing, but he liked my hustle stuff. And I guess it was a relationship. I guess it wasn't. I don't know. He, he was selling. I was selling, but I was smoking his stuff and all this other stuff. But anyways, that night we were, I'm all, cause there's a lot of stories in between. Yeah, so I'm gonna jump up. So this is the night. Uh, this is what happened whenever I got my uh, charge. So my MO wasn't stealing and all that other stuff. Mine was, look, I just sell this. I know how to make money. I know how to conversation. I get money. It's faster. That was my MO. Um, Because other people were getting killed doing stuff they were doing. So I got introduced to him. I got introduced to a gun. So mind you, as a young girl, my mind was getting molded. I was scared of guns. But the more I was hanging around that gun, it was molding me. I started carrying it around with me, riding around with me. I stole a gun. We stole a gun. We hit somebody up. That wasn't my MO either. Taking stuff from people. I you take something from somebody, you're going to find yourself dead somewhere in the alley. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I was like. So anyways, um, there's so many stories in between. But anyways, um, July the 15th, him and his brother was at the uh, hotel or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I needed money. I wanted to get high. You know, his brother and they were smoking weed, playing, you know, Game Boy or whatever. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go hit a hustle or whatever. So when I left out at the motel and I walked around the corner, I seen a white van. In the street life, white white guys are uh, gullible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just I'm just being real. That's how I looked at them. No, and I, I say I say that because as a little girl, I was molested by my uncle. So white men just turned me off, like because I don't know why. Back then, so probably I stuck, because it's attachment to yes, something so tragic. I, yeah, so it's like I grab it it to a black man but anyways that night i seen the guy was sitting in the van and so i walked up to him i'm like you okay sir you know or whatever um and he was drunk i was like well i said uh you want me to uh drive you home i said you can give me the taxi money i mean 
money for taxi and I can uh, come back. So um, we begin to talk or whatever, and I got in the van, and the lady that was in the bar across the street, she wound up coming out. He got out and talked to her, and she came up to the van, and this is what the lady said. She said, nothing better not happen to him. And I'm looking at her like, ain't nothing happened to him. I'm like, but anyway, so when we left, um, I was I got in the driver's seat, and he was telling me where he lived at. But the thing is, he didn't tell me where he lived at. He was taking me somewhere else, and it was dark, and I started freaking out. Mind you, I, I'm high, but not really high. I'm, I'm wanting to get high. And uh, so it got dark, and I'm like, he started talking to me about sex and stuff. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I don't want no sex. You said you was going to give me taxi money. Mm-hmm. I was going to hitchhike back to go get my trucks. I mean, why You're get just going to take the taxi money yes. and then just. Hustle mentality. Yeah, yeah. So in that process, um, when he stopped and it was a dark area, I didn't even know it was the American Legion. It was a dark area. To me, I was like, oh, something happened to me. And I had the gun on me, too. But my intentions was never to kill the guy. So we began to tassel and, and, and um, struggle or whatever, and I pulled the gun out and shot him. It freaked me out, and I left. I went down to the street. Uh, there was a uh, store down the road. I, some parts is, like, blurred. Mm-hmm. But I went to the first store, and then I called so-called boyfriend. I said, look, I need you all to come pick me up. I need you, I need, I need you to come pick up. I, I'm at such a store. So they came pick me up. I, I'm, I'm a nervous wreck. I'm like, so um, they came pick me up. We went back to the room. And I told him what I, I said. I said, look, I just shot somebody. I said, I just shot somebody. He, he ain't trying to tell me, well, we got to get away from here, all that. And, you know, you're in street life. You know, you got to move around, get away. At the same time, I didn't try to kill him. Mm-hmm. The next day, boom, 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 boom. Me, I'm like, I'm not caring really who. I thought somebody come buy drugs from uh, the guy I was with. When I did it, it was, two, it was a white guy and it was a light-skinned black guy. I remember Detective Demery's name. I don't remember the white guy's name. But they, I opened up the door, and um, they started talking to me about the guy or whatever. I'm honest. I'm like, well, yeah, I, w- I was with him. And I had bruises and stuff on me. I, I said, yeah, I was with him. I said, that, and my boyfriend, he started, like, just going crazy and stuff. If you knew or whatever, he's, he was just like, I'm like, I said, I shot him. I said, he was trying to take advantage of me. I said, I shot him. I said, I, was, I didn't know what else to do. He was like, okay. He says, well, look. He said, I need you to get in the car, and we need to go down to the station, and uh, we just need to talk to you. And then he took um, the boyfriend, and he took his brother in another car. So they separated. So we get down there. So, you know, I told them what happened, you know. And I guess they told them what happened or whatever. The next thing I know, because the detective told me, he says, well, look, we're going to make sure you go to the hospital so you can get, you know, checked out or whatever. Never happened. They put me in the city jail. And next thing I know, I'm getting booked with a second-degree murder, $250,000 bond. Mm. So that started oh, – that was an eye-opener for me. So after I got booked and everything they, from the city, they wound up taking me to Caddo. And so while I was sitting there, I remember sitting in the pod, and I'm looking at TV, and I'm like, life has got to get better than this. That was the first step that I started in wanting to change my life. So I be, I began to read my word and stuff like that, and I became a Christian, and I, be, I got in my word, and it wasn't easy. I still had the hood stuff, but I was also trying to live what the word of God said, too. How old are you whenever this At is all happening? At that time, I was uh, 19. I was 19. So I was ni- two days before my 19th birthday. So 19, been involved in the life since you were about, like, what, 12, 13 years mm-hmm. old? On your own since you were 13, 14? Well, you might as well see it, say about maybe eight, nine years old after my dad lost his business because uh, we were ripping and running from state to state, yeah. school to school. I'm watching them cook drugs, all kind of stuff. You know, when a person gets involved with drugs, you just watch everything destroy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So you, so they, they hemmed you up, they put you in the city jail, and then court. So well, they happened? moved me to the felony, which was at Caddo. Mm-hmm. Um and so I stayed there 15 months. So I went back and forth. But this is the thing about my case. Have you ever heard of somebody two months later going before a grand jury and testifying? That's pretty It's weird. not likely. Because, see, before they can keep you, they have to bring back a, a bill of indictment. They charged me, but they had to bring back a bill of indictment to keep me. They had to have evidence. I had already admitted what I did. So my lawyer was like, well, look, 
you just go in there and you tell them your story. And this is the crazy thing. When I went in there, they begin to question me. The DA's in the back, and they got the 12 people in there. They're telling, I'm telling them everything that what happened. And this, I told them, I said, well, look, I was at this, and I was going the back way to such and such on Lake Shore, and the detective got aggressive. He says, no, you're not. You're lying. There's not nobody. It was a lady said, excuse me, sir. This child ain't lying. She says, I live over there. So I'm like, that's the, it was the grace of God that just shut him down. But, I, you know, I told him what happened or whatever, and two days later they dropped my charge from second-degree murder to manslaughter and dropped my bond. Of course, I didn't have money to bond out. So um, I wound up going October the uh, 31st was the day that they gave me my sentence. So I pled guilty to manslaughter. But mind you, when I went into the jail, I also got charged with um, set, uh, Schedule Two and contraband because the drugs that he had when I got arrested, I had them on me so that they couldn't find them. And in my mind, I, when I get in the city jail or whatever, I'm thinking, I got this stuff on me or whatever. I asked somebody, I'm like, look, you got something? I look, I got this stuff you want to, you know, whatever. They was like, no. When I got transported to the uh, felony one, she ratted on me, so they came and strip searched me. And so I got those two charges. But I wound up pleading out to manslaughter. They dropped those two charges. They was trying to scare me with an enhancement charge or whatever. My lawyer was like, okay, um, well, look, they're going to give you this or whatever, and she just was telling me what she wanted me to hear. I went in before the judge or whatever. By that time, I got my GED, you know, trying to get my life together because I'm like, I don't want to keep living the way I was living. I need something better. I want something different. So the judge was like, you know, I respect you coming in here and admitting what you did. You know, and she said, you got your GED and blah, blah, blah. She said, your charge carries zero to uh, 40 years. She said, you can get probation. She said, but you know what? I wrestled with your case. She says, I'm sending you 30 years in prison. I just look. I was like, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, damn, you should have just gave me 40. That's in my mind frame back then. Right. I didn't say it, thank God. But um, so once I got that, um, as soon as I got that, a few days later, they shipped me to Lake Providence. I was at Lake Providence seven months, and that's when the incident happened with the security guard. The Amazonian. Not only that, but with that happening— it helped some other long-termers to get hurried and shipped out, too, because it's like, oh, Lord, we got these long-termers in here. They're finna nut up in here. Let's let's get them out of here. Mm-hmm. So um, they sent me to St. Gabriel. But the only way they could send me to St. Gabriel and not let me go to a lockdown is the captain said, look, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to have to send you um, on mental health watch. I said, okay, because I, I want to get out of there. So once I got shipped over there, they just had me on a seven-day watch in a cell. After that, I was released to the compound. they put you in a turtle suit? Absolutely not. Never been in one since I'm prison. I never went, explain to, never the, went to, to the public what a turtle suit is? A turtle suit is if you're cutting up in there or if you say you're going to commit suicide, everything's coming off butt naked. You're getting put in a padded cell with this green padded turtle suit is what it looks like. Ninja, Ninja Turtle. Ninja Turtle. Shout Ninja out. Turtle suit. I was in the Donatello <laughs> suit one time. What? Yeah, really? That's how I got the split in the back of my head of garden. Wow. You was like. cutting up, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was probably. I got charges for that, too, because I punched him, knocked him down, and I got every single guard in um, Livingston Parish Jail. Wow. I was on the old jail, and I was hallucinating from Xanax and Oxycontin. Oh, Lord. And I was screaming, and he come down. This wow. was uh, This was probably in 08, maybe. Anyways, I was detoxing, hallucinating. I didn't know what was going on. So you was doing drugs while you was locked up? No, I oh, went okay. in. I, I got arrested and I was detoxing. Okay. So about three days later is when it oh, kicked in. Oh, wow. And so anyways, he come back there. And I, was, I seen something. He hit me with that mag light. When I seen blood, I just freaked out, put him in a headlock, and I started smoking him. And somehow <laughs> or another, he... Flashback. <laughs> and they all come. And back in the old jail, there was a... There was a pod in the middle, and then cells all the way around. Like a B C D. A B C D. I bet you didn't even have a toilet. You had a hole in the floor, huh? I was on. A, they had me on a back hall. Okay. I was with mats. There was no toilet. There was a door that I actually escaped out of one time. Miss Velma Wheat. She'll tell oh, you the wow. story. I escaped, and I didn't leave the jail. I was sitting outside at night watching didn't the stars want to be on the basketball court. Mm. And she come out there. Will you please come in? How I'm old like, were you? Sure. How old were you like at the time? 22, 23. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, I go back. And, and long story short, so I saw the blood. Them guards come back there, and they grabbed me out of that hall, and they took my head and hit so every hard. single bar on the wraparound to get to the hall to get to the front of the jail. Lost and it. there's a hall 
outside hall in between where the cell the the dorms are to the administrative part where lockdown is up front. He flipped me <laughs> upside down and a couple other dudes and they were banging wow. my head on the concrete. And I and my my stuff was busted wide open. I had to get staples in the back of my head. Wow. And then they put me in an isolation cell for like 40 days. I lost like 60 pounds. I didn't even know Hurricane Gustav had hit. Wow. My mom and them was trying to come visit me. Couldn't come see me. And uh but anyways, I said all that to say I was in a turtle suit prior mm. to that. Right, right, right. Turtle suit. Turtle suit. You finna get stripped <laughs> hey, butt naked. That was a good little tangent, and we circled back. But you know, know what? With that turtle suit, this is the thing with the women. So I know women that were put in turtle suits, but then you got men patrolling. For mm-hmm. a woman, that's oh, disgraceful. Yeah. yeah, I know. You know, there's just like you said Probably earlier. humiliating, huh? Very humiliating. Uh, humiliating. Humiliating, yes. First of all, they stripped them down. That's a woman. They had to call the uh, team, the the guy team, to come out and do all that because the women they didn't have enough women. That's humiliating to a woman emotionally and mentally. That's scarring. Mm-hmm. But that's inside the prison, something that the the public don't even know about. But anyways, let me go back to my story because it's a it's a lot. I'm trying to I'm gonna cut a lot out. Um, so during my 20 year um doing uh, incarceration, um, so. I started working for the warden. Well, when I got at St. Gabriel, I started off as picking grass. <laughs> um, after picking, goose picking? Goose picking, yes, goose picking. You want to tell everybody what goose picking so is? So goose picking is is that, you know, everybody in the prison works. It don't matter if you're old. It don't matter if you're in a wheelchair. You're going to work. If you got to sit there at a table and perpetrate and act like you're wiping a table, back then you get right up if you wasn't doing what you're supposed to do. And it was petty stuff back then. But, um... So goose picking is is you're out in a yard and stuff, and you got to go pick. It, they plant these these um, grass or whatever, and they want you to go pick it, and like you're shorting it down and pick up trash on the yard. And depends on what kind of security you get. Some you can go sit on the ground and just perpetrate, but then you'd have some come in. You couldn't sit down, so you squat it down for like eight hours, you know. But you got count time or whatever. But um, anyways, I'm very detailed, so I'm gonna have to jump around. So um. I was in uh, inner yard, which that's what they called it. After that, I got into the garment factory. When I got into the garment factory, I'm a fast learner. The uh, Mr. Sam, he taught me everything I needed to know. I didn't know nothing. I just watched him. I was running the line. I learned how to uh, sew on the big operating machines. I learned how to fix them. I learned how to do the tool shed. I learned how to do secretary work. I was running the line. I was never the team leader because I was always pushing stuff through. And when they had trouble, I would jump over there and I'm like, Look, let me fix it for you. And I'd go. So I was pushing stuff down the line. Um, so, but after that, I wound up getting a call. No, I broke my feet. I want a lawsuit in there. Um, I wanted to break it. It's their fault. You know, they had the bunk beds you, uh, in a, in Did a you small. Get paid? It's a room like Absolutely. I'm about to tell you. It's a room like this. So you got <laughs> you got a bunk bed here. You got a, a single bed here. You have this huge um, stand-up locker that has two sides. Then a sink right here. Two foot lockers for the one that's on top rack. So um, the ladder that where it's facing for the thing, it was obstructed. So when I came down, my roommate was there, and I didn't see her. I wound up falling and breaking both my feet like not Damn, that. both feet. Both feet, not I, just one, yeah. both. So they took me to the hospital, whatever. I was I was in a walking boot, and I was in a cast in the next one. And got a lawyer out of New Orleans. We had the hospital records. I had a, matter of fact, I was the one that drew the picture of the whole cell for my lawyer. Mm. Sent that to the to him and everything. And um, so, long story short, they did a deposition or whatever. They were in the wrong I won $15,000. Hey, and for a but, person in prison? I'm about to tell you. Big commissary. <laughs> it is. That's like two zeros at the, uh, at the end of it. That carried me out the last 10 years of my jokes. 15 I'm, I'm grand? You, no. First of all, the lawyer took almost half. Oh, yeah. First of all, he's mad at me because I'm like, look, like, uh, whatever. And I made, I basically pushed him to hurry up and settle out instead of drawing it out. I'm like, I'm already in prison. I don't have nobody support me. I was doing hair. I was doing eyebrows. You couldn't get caught doing that or you were going to get rode up. But I was hustling at Legal dance. salon, huh? No, it was illegal That's salon. what I'm saying. It was called uh, self-mutilation. So I was That's in the right. Yeah. That's for the people outside, self-mutilation is not what you're thinking. 
Uh, you can get self mutilation for masturbating. Yep. You can get self mutilation for doing hair, eyebrows, and eyebrows with a string, eyebrow, a string, tattoos. Tattoo, yes. So there's a variety of different things that you get rode up for. Things Isn't that it? we do on the outside that are normal that right. everybody does. You'll go to the cell right. blocks for doing that. Right. So sounds a lot worse. Self mutilation in prison is not like a cutter that's out there cutting mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. It's, it's two different things. So, um, so <clears> you won. So I won it. He took uh, almost half. So I came away with um, eight thousand. Mm-hmm. I blessed my best friend with two thousand. Some money home to my mama. I sent and I did a savings account, first savings account I ever did in my life. So I had I put all my money in the savings, account. not all of it, but I managed my money. Mm-hmm. I managed my money because guess what? I'm not going to buy no five dollar ham when I can get a case of noodles that's going to keep me. To the next uh, week, because I'm not a person. I'm not gonna go begging. I'm top gonna ramen. ask you. Shout out top ramen. I yeah, ramen noodles. That's right. It'll get you through. Guess I'm still what? eating it. I still uh-uh. eat it every day. This is the thing, like I used to tell them. Hot, spicy beef. The doctor say uh, an apple keep the doctor away. I said, baby, a noodle will keep the hunger away, honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question because uh, we're, we're getting towards the end. What all programs did you participate in at LCI? Every last one that they had. Give us a little. Give us a short list. As a long-termer, they were hard to get into the short-term, uh, mm-hmm. you got short-time. So, celebrate recovery, substance abuse two or three times. Um, Any okay. educational programs? I got I got my bachelor's uh, degree in uh, communication on a modern business administration through Ashland Damn. University. They didn't come on the scene until after the 2016 flood. Yep. Okay, so... Um, also, me and my best friend, we started our ministry before seminary even came on the scene. We had a room. Uh, we were ministering already to the compound. Mm-hmm. We were out. We wasn't. We wasn't with the church setting. If you, you know, you have your church sector, and we wasn't with them. We were on the outside. You know, we were being real with the people where you had the church people was actually, you know, just playing with them. Mm-hmm. We were just being real life with them. But anyways, that's another story. So. Um, I did sign language. I wound up dropping out of that because I didn't like to be controlled. And they were going to tell me what I was going to do. But you're trying to educate me. And you're putting me in a situation. I ain't even made an interpreter yet. I'm good with sign language. My niece, uh, my niece, I was uh, deaf when she was young. So I'm, I'm looking. I'm like, no. So they were going to pay me 80, uh, 80 cents an hour. That's what I got I looked paid. at them. I looked at that lady. I said, ma'am, keep your money. I got some nails to do. Keep your money. Guess what? Money don't move me. Okay. Shit. Baby, give me what I had. Then she dropped me back down to 16 cent. I was working for the war. Yes, I worked my way up, but I also had to wait on God. Mm. I got in a dog program, so I was a dog trainer for two years. Then after that, school came on uh, board. Ashland University. Got my bachelor's degree. I had a dean every every semester. Deans. I got inducted into the um, ACA, which is the American Communication Association, which is... I forgot what uh, sorority it was. I mean, AOPI, but, um, it's the no. LCIW sorority. No, no, no. no. Actually, Ashland. No, no I know, to be I know. honest with you, you know, with Ashland and all that, you know, because my I have an ability. I'm a fast learner. All you got to do is show me one time, and I'm not like I'm feminine, but I'm tomboyish. Move out the way. I got this, you know. So, I, anyways, in that situation with school and stuff, I was out on the yard spending time with the other ones that. Tutoring. No, not tutoring. No, I was doing this on my own time. The ones that, first of all, I'm a fast learner, so I had no dealings with technology. I got on this side, okay, we're going to figure it out. So I learned all that by myself. So the people that didn't know, I take out my time hours at a time out there with the ones that were struggling. Okay, baby, this is how you do it. Are you talking about the JP4 players? No, 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 no. We had Chromebooks. Yes. Brother, she's on that new new stuff. Yeah, yeah. At LCIW, you had Chromebooks? We got them after the flood, and that's when Tulane came in, and then they got, they had, oh, Tulane um, got the money. Uh, no, but Ashland was on the scene first. They're mm. tapping into the JP at Rayburn. I just went the other day. They done broke the firewall. Oh, they've been doing that. <laughs> and they doing all that stuff, yeah. yeah. Anyways. But, um, so with that, so no, I would say. So you got your degree in communication and then minor in business administration? Yes. But in the midst of all that, though, you know, I was ministering to the compound, working for the warden, and also spending my time out there dealing with people because I love teaching people. If you don't have education, come on, baby, I'll spend hours with you. Mm -hmm. Just because I don't want to see somebody uneducated. So with all that, then came the clemency when Governor Bell Edwards came in and everybody was like, I'm like, but I finally, you know, I I did the application and everything, and with all that, a year went by. They, uh, I went to clemency um, in November. Matter of fact, it was two days before Thanksgiving, 
And I went in, I prepared myself. I was doing resumes, everything I did for myself. Mm-hmm. And I was sending it to the uh, pardon board. I was sending, I said, I just wanted to show them what I was doing and accomplishing. Nobody helped me. I was doing that on my own. And so when I went before them, and um, it was five of them, so the victim's advocate basically, like, he was for me. Like, he did his history on me, and it's like he showed where I was a child and how I gravitated what, for what happened. So I had opposition. It was very devastating for me. I got granted, but I'll never forget when she got to talk, and she was like, you're a murderer. You're manipulating me. I'm looking at her like... But my heart was, I understood where that woman was because my dad was murdered. Mm-hmm. So I understood the anger. But at the same time, I feel, I, I understand forgiveness too. Mm-hmm. So I know both sides. So I had been praying for that lady. But she had anger. So it was devastating for me because I, I took her brother from her. That was devastating. Emotionally and mentally, again, I had to deal with it throughout the years. So anyways, after that, I got granted I was the first one. Three months later, I was on my manslaughter charge. Governor signed my seal. Mm. June, uh, well, it was uh, March the 9th or 10th. I didn't get out until June, like, night, because, you know, you had to wait for parole or whatever. But the thing is, I went in there and represented myself. Matter of fact, the victim, victim's advocate, um, Alvin, I forgot what slaughter was his name, he was basically representing me. I'm like, I ain't say nothing. But, um... The second part, the parole project came in because I'm like, I can't go oh, back Andy? to yeah, I can't go back to Shreveport. Um, you know, I need somewhere, and I'm I'm about resources, you know, because I went to jail before this, and and I'm like, no. So when I got into St. Gabriel, I was about resources. I was about reentry. I need to know because I want to survive when I get out this time. So with that uh, being said, um, they I didn't really know a lot about Andy or whatever. I knew Christy Sherry, you know, because I did time with her. Um, so, they do some great. We had Andy on the podcast, uh, and he was on. Andrew. Andrew, yeah, 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 I seen. I see, as a matter of fact, I seen him the other day. I was uh, over there. Um, so tell what, what year did you get released? Two thousand twenty-one. Two thousand. I've been out almost two. Yeah, years. Yeah, that's right. So let me ask you this: um, What was your greatest challenge getting released? Huh. Well, if you go look at um, it's a site on YouTube um, when they did when I got donated a car through um, Ben Castro Freedom yeah. Rides. And I had a guy ask me what was my greatest challenge when I got out. Yeah. My greatest challenge was after being confined in a small space, coming out, it felt like a merry-go-round. I've never dealt with anxiety. Two weeks I, I dealt with anxiety. But I also dealt with, first of all, I know I'm a beautiful woman. I know I am. And men just attract are attracted to me, but I also I was mindful I came out of a life of prostitution too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, that was like fearful for me because I knew that what my I knew that what my lifestyle anymore. You know, I changed my life. God showed me what I was. You've working. been in prison twenty years, and the guys, you know, uh, well, and, uh, and, and flirting the, or whatever. No, 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 no. In, 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 in the in the natural. women's prison, you know, what I'm saying you don't you, you don't deal with it. So in a confined space, basically women. So me coming out after God done changed me and told me my. Self worth. I'm getting out and me and something. Like I'm like, I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, I'm not that person. It was if to me it was uh, awkward. Understand. It was very awkward. Um, but to be mindful, you when I got out, I was already doing applications to get. I had eleven interviews, but they were working and they got me the job at Louisiana Property Assistant Agency. Who gets out after doing twenty years and get a state job? You. <laughs> well, me, yeah, absolutely. But some other ones too. But for me, I'm like. Holy moly. This is awesome. Big time. Yes. So That's this what you is prayed awesome. for. Absolutely. Well, I don't know about praying. That, that was extra. That was lanyard. Yeah. But uh, with that, I uh, started working at Louisiana Property, Property Assistant Agency. So what are the other jobs that so you So after that, I left. I wound up getting on at Mike Anderson's. There you go. So for the last like year and a half, I was working at uh, LPAA. I was working at Mike Anderson's. I had a other side jobs. I was helping uh, the women that were getting out if they needed a ride and they couldn't get when I was giving them rides here and there. They were paying me gas money. I was helping them with their phones and stuff because they didn't understand technology. So I was just giving back, too, because I wanted to see them get it. Um, I was doing speaking engagements, going different places. I was just. You said you it. also have a, a house cleaning business. I don't have a business, but I, God done blessed me with like four people's house to clean. So, well, let's, uh, so let's announce to the public if you need a reliable no, 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 cleaning. No, 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 not yet. Now, if you get in contact <laughs> with me, I can get you some ladies that can come clean. Right now, I got too many jobs coming out the. Now, if you want to give me an at home job and you want to give me on a computer where I can at home and the pay's right, call me. <laughs> 
Anyways, um, but no, um, so I like thing, it. but this is the thing. I want to I want to hit on this. So after all that says, getting my own car, my own apartment, a bank account, savings, credit, and a check-ins, awesome. But then six months, no score to a seven hundred and ten. So um, got donated a car because I was out there working my butt off because I knew when I got out. I need to get me a car because guess what? I'm not going to be walking. No. Yeah, you got to get around. So I was saving my money because that's what I wanted to do. That's why I stressed into them. Look, I need help. I don't know how to do this. But I, in, in, in the process of that, I was blessed with the car. I got it out there now. It's not, it's not brand new. It's 2012 oh, Nissan Altima. Guess what? Huh? Shout out. Yes. Yes. Wait, so how'd you end up winning this car? <clears throat> how'd you end up getting gifted this car? Well, first we of all, um, well, you have to go with Ben Castro uh, with that, um, but he's so busy right now. Um, but that situation came about, and I didn't find out till later. Was um, so my name was recommended to him through the parole project, but before that, my site director at Ashland University, because Ben also went through Ashland University. Mm-hmm. Is Ben formerly incarcerated? He, yes, he is. Oh, same That's, team. I, same I team. I, I'm pretty sure I've heard yes, of him. Yes, he, he does. I think he's like, he works with them chains, um, yeah. Ideal Market and stuff like that, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Him and his wife stayed there. They got one out there on Burbank. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, uh, my site director said, oh, yeah, Alicia. So I got two different recommendations, but not only that, when I got out, I was about my business. I knew what I needed to do. I'm a young, I'm just getting, I'm getting it. And, um, you know, great success story. But also you got to understand, too, there's something that I did not experience. I've never been in a relationship with a man. Mm. And that process, I was trying to do what I needed to do. I got in a relationship. It was good, but he got on drugs. And I wound up doing, well, first of all, I got pregnant last year. Happy, happy, happy. Lost the baby because it was in my tubes. That was devastating for me. So not only was I going to the hospital every week for them to see what was going on with me, whenever I, they had to give me a shot to dissolve the pregnancy, I was there by myself. Damn. I just now, me and him just talked. We had to talk about it. We're not, toge- we're, we're not together. He's, he has a situation. He's in rehab and got in trouble, and it's a long story. But I wound up doing ecstasy. And then the emotions... I opened up my emotions. So you got to understand, as a young girl, I ain't had no emotions being in the streets. You had to be Tough. hardcore. Yes, yep. absolutely. So dealing with no feelings to going to prison, guarded feelings to coming out here, and all of a sudden my feelings is awakening. You know, I'm, I'm a woman now. You know, I know what I want. And for me as a woman, that caused me, that caused my downfall. My, it was my bad, though. It was my bad. But at the same time, I didn't know how to you get learned, out of it. You learned it. a valuable lesson. Yes, you, you're right. Absolutely. So so through that, I watched myself go all the way down. I was so stupid to sign for a, a truck form with my credits. Damn. Co-sign for him a 2008 Chevy. Yeah, it will never happen again. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? All you do is teach me one time. That's it's right. It. You can burn me once. <laughs> you can't burn me twice. Absolutely. No. Well, well uh, the, we're, we're almost out of time, but... You've got a hell of a story. I got look. I got to finish it because y'all go got, y'all need to know. Okay. So through all that, I wound up having to go into rehab because I was I was stressed out about all the things I was going through. I wasn't. It wasn't the drugs that had me. I didn't need rehab. I needed somebody to talk to me about the relationship, these emotions I was feeling. That's what I needed. But I understood their situation. Put me in a rehab, but I couldn't do the rehab. I was going to lose my mind. They wanted me to teach the classes. I'm like, I'm in here for me. I'm like, no, I AMA myself out. I lost support in the area, but I'm like, I'll live in my car. I just can't, I can't do this in here. I just need somebody that I can talk to, express myself to help me. So through that, God raised up some people. So right now I'm living with a, a guy. He said, you can live upstairs rent free. His daughter helped me get a job. In my struggle of lose, you know, losing my uh, apartment, wound up getting terminated from a state job. And um, but when he he came in and some other people stepped up and like, you know, you don't do that to somebody when they fall. You know, things happen. And immediately, I started climbing right back up. I've done had worked at Circle K, Freddy's, um, house jobs, and the state job. They was like, well, six months. Um, they know my work. They called me a couple weeks ago. I'm going back to my state job Monday. Damn. I'm cleaning four houses. Speaking again, it's coming out. Matter of fact, before I pulled up, I had another guy that I know. He just called me. He said, hey, I got this job. You want it? I said, well, look, i talk later. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up over here. So, But at the same time, don't turn your nose down at somebody when they fall. Mm-hmm. 
It's easy to don't do. Don't be self-righteous and don't be like, this is the way rehab. No, it's not always rehab. Yeah, people need rehab. But for me, after doing my time, guess what? I needed somebody at the time with me, somebody that understood what I was going through. I didn't need to go sit in no rehab where you sit in hours not doing anything, then go for one or two hours, stuff that I already knew. First of all, I was a mentor for five years teaching the same stuff to women out of St. Tammany Parish. I didn't need that. I knew what that I needed to do. regurgitated stuff. You needed somebody who, like... You somebody to talk to. Yeah, just, I needed somebody to be real. I think the, like a uh, companion kind One of, of the things like that a, happens often, uh, and I know that we run out of time, Jim, but the thing that happens often is, is uh, guys or girls come home and uh, they might be doing great, right? And yeah. then some of the old habits or some of the old characteristics or behaviors pop back up. And people will shun them when they make yeah. some mistakes yeah. because we can't make mistakes yeah. because we already have this this uh, uh, blemished past. Well, this yeah. wasn't an old mistake. No, this was I'm new, just saying but, in general. Yeah. But so it's harder for us to shake back. Right. And I always appreciate when a person can catch themselves, get back on track and, and do it. So you're doing that. Absolutely. You're an example of that. And uh, we're proud of you. Absolutely. And, uh, we, uh, we definitely... Want to see you keep succeeding, uh, but we appreciate you coming on. I appreciate y'all for inviting me. Thank yeah, y'all. No problem. You got a great what story. What a great story! Thank yeah. you so much. Mm-hmm.